$5,000. That's the average amount of money people in the U.S. are now spending on gas in a year. Five grand. That's crazy. If you drive, you have to download Upside, the free app that gives you cash back every time you get gas. That's right. You can earn real cash back with Upside just by buying the gas you're already buying. You can literally start earning cash back today. I use Upside every time I fill up, and I've already made around two, $300. You're putting gas in your car anyway. Why not get real cash back? If you like free money, download Upside. I'm saving the cash I earn from using Upside to help pay for a vacation later this year. Download the free Upside app now to earn cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code SAVE to get an extra 25 cents per gallon on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code SAVE for a 25 cents per gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code SAVE for a 25 cents per gallon bonus. So many times it's not the business that fails, it's the entrepreneur that quits. I am unwilling to give up, that I will start over from scratch as many times as it takes to get where I want to be. I want to be. You just want to make sure you will get knocked down, but just make sure you don't get knocked out. Knocked out. So your only choice should be go focus on what you can control. 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 Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Kara Golden Show. Join me each week for inspiring conversations with some of the world's greatest leaders. We'll talk with founders, entrepreneurs, CEOs, and really some of the most interesting people of our time. Can't wait to get started. Let's go. Let's go. Hi, everyone. It's Kara Golden from The Kara Golden Show, and I'm super, super excited to have two incredible guys here today who are going to share lots and lots of tidbits of really, really amazing stuff. So we have Cameron Smith and Joel Clark, who are the co-founders, CEO and COO of Kodiak Cakes. And if you haven't tried Kodiak Cakes, then you've been uh, not had, you haven't had a great breakfast in a while. Let's just say that, right? I mean, it definitely, um, so good, um, with some terrific maple syrup, uh, real maple syrup, none of that log cabin stuff. You gotta, you know, go real on, on all of this. These guys are, you know, amazing. We're going to hear more about their backstory and just overall on their journey. And, uh, just really, really incredible. So like I said, uh, Cameron is the co-founder and COO, and Joel is the co-founder and CEO. And they started this company, uh, I guess it was Joel's mom who originally imagined that, right? Uh, Had the idea for this amazing breakfast. And uh, and we'll talk to him a little bit more about that. And it's just a really, really interesting story. They live in just outside of Park City, uh, so Park City, Utah. And that's, uh, I mean, that's becoming more and more, I, I believe, like kind of an entrepreneurial, um, also foodie uh, capital where lots of innovation and entrepreneurial spirit is incubating for sure. And uh just overall, uh, we'll we'll also talk about um, some kind of recent news with the company too, which is um, really really exciting. But uh, I won't say any more. I'll just jump in and let you guys do most of the talking. <laughs> but uh, so welcome, you guys. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. Good to be here. I'm very very excited. So let's start with just a trip down memory lane. I guess starting with Joel. So. 
Can you share a little bit more about how the the scuts started in your family? Yeah. So it really was kind of pancakes were a big part of my childhood. And um, little did I know that I would actually be selling pancake mix someday when I got older. <laughs> but it, like Cody, the way Kodiak cakes got started is is pretty like homegrown, right? It's just like a homegrown story. My my mom had this great recipe for making whole whole wheat pancakes at home. And she had a wheat grinder and, and she would grind her own wheat. And she was way into really healthy eating when I was growing up. And didn't always love that, you know, as a kid, but, <laughs> but we loved her pancakes and she had this kind of idea or kind of dream to make a product out of her recipe and sell it. And so when I was eight years old, we made homemade pancake mixes uh, in brown paper lunch sacks and we put them in my red wagon and I went and knocked on doors in the neighborhood and sold these little homemade pancake mixes. And so that was when I was really, really young. I was eight years old and we did so we didn't keep going with it at the time, that, but that was really the kind of inspiration behind making a, a, a business starting with pancake mixes. And so in the mid-90s, my older brother, John, wanted to start a company. And he was talking to my mom and, and she said, hey, John, why don't you take the pancake recipe and make a real product and, and go sell it? So he created our first product, our first flapjack and waffle mix and created the brand Kodiak Cakes in 1995 and asked me to help him start selling it. So that's really when we got started. And then I took the company over a couple of years after that in 1997. 1997. Wow. That was, uh, you know, a long time ago. Um, it was. And, uh, <laughs> right. And, uh, uh, you know, so much has happened since then, obviously. And you always remained, you were from that area. You always remained in Utah. Yep. I, yep. I grew up in Salt Lake City. And then, um, and then we, I lived there for a long time. And then, we moved up to Midway, Utah about nine years ago. And then um, Cameron and his family moved up a couple of years after that. And then we moved the brand into Park City about maybe seven years ago, something like that. And Park City just became an awesome place to put the brand. It's got such a great active outdoor lifestyle uh, culture here in Park City. And that has really just become a, a huge part of our brand at Kodiak Cake. So really, you know, it's about eating healthier and living active. And so Park City is just an awesome place for us to be. That's awesome. And so when did when did Cameron, when did you come into the picture? I I actually joined in in 2009. So I was going to school at the University of Utah and um started started looking for jobs and I saw a job post from from Joel on the University of Utah's job board. Um and and I and I stumbled upon it, thought it looked pretty interesting. And then when I went and met Joel and his, his dad was actually there at the same time as well. Um, I remember walking out just thinking, man, that would be a lot of fun. And, and, and like Joel mentioned, I mean, the, the business was under a million dollars and I, you know, I was just, I was just kind of looking for what would be some fun experience to, to do some, some pretty cool stuff. And I mean, now looking back at it, I had no idea what, what I, what I was joining and, and where we were going to go. But, um, you know, and, and at that time it was, um, I, I was just finishing up school. So I was just looking for where, where could be a long-term landing place. I love it. And you were just saying yes, right? You were just uh -huh. jumping in and, and right. why not, right? What's the worst that could happen? So as I yeah. always <laughs> say, I love it. Uh, super, super fun. So officially, when did Kodiak really launch as a business? I mean, it sounds like you you guys were sort of dipping your toe into it a little bit and then 
um, you know, starting from 1997 to 2009, I mean, it sounds like, you know, where were you at that point? I mean, did you have product in local stores or what was kind of the, the map at that point? Yeah, those were some, those were some pretty long, hard years because so when I took it over in 1997, it was the company was was really small. My brother had been running it on the side for those you know for those couple of years trying to get it off the ground, and then he came to me and he's like, "Hey, I, I he wanted to go back to school and and uh, just try to kickstart his career." And he's like, "I don't have time to run this little pancake thing on the side." So I took it over. I was going to college at the time, and so I ran it for about seven years on the side for the next seven years just as a side hustle, trying to keep it alive, trying to keep it going. And then finally in 2004, I quit my job to go full-time with it. And then my dad helped me. He joined me. He was retired. He was 65. And he's like, I'll help you. Let's do this together. So he and I worked on it for the next four years together and got it from about 150000 in revenue to about 800000 And so we, you know, we were making some progress, but it was still really small for a consumer food brand. And so then that's when, you know, in 2009, then that's when Cameron joined and, um, and really the two of us just Cameron became a co-founder with me. And the two of us really started to, you know, take the momentum my dad and I started to create. And then we just built upon that and started to really, we started to innovate and started to finally see some really great exponential growth. That's awesome. So what was your first store? Like, how did you, I mean, people are always ask me, like, how did you get your product, you know, on the shelf? I mean, what was kind of the first, the first sale that you made, I guess? So in, so in uh, November of 1995, when my brother John had just gotten this, this product ready to go, he had found someone in Salt Lake to make it. And so we had like, I think one pal, one or two pallets of product. So that was like the very first production run. And so he got this done. And we had like actual product in hand that we could go sell. So John went to work one day. He still had his, he had his, he had his job and he's like, Joel, can you help me sell it? So I, that, I remember I, I left his house this, this one morning with all these samples in a bag. And I literally just got in the car and I drove uh, downtown Salt Lake and I started going into gift shops. So I went into hotel gift shops in downtown Salt Lake and I started just I'd go in and meet the manager. I'd drop off a sample and literally just say, hey, we have this pancake mix. Would you be interested in carrying it here? And I went to other kind of gift shops around uh, downtown Salt Lake. And we started to get people uh, saying, hey, yeah, I'll, I'll buy a case of this. I'll put it on the shelf and just see if it does anything, right? And so it was really, really small, really grassroots. And people were just like, I'll buy one case. I'll see how it sells. <laughs> you know. And then like that Saturday, John and I took a trip to Park City. And, um, and we each took one side of main street. It's like a hill. It's like a street that kind of is long and it goes up a hill. And so we, he and I were each kind of going in and out of these gift shops as we walked up main street, trying to drum up, uh, more, you know, people to sell Kodiak cakes. And so we picked up a bunch of stores there and then we, and then we took a trip to Jackson, Wyoming and Sun Valley, Idaho within the next couple of weeks. And we picked up more stores there. So I think in the first, in the first couple of weeks, we'd picked up maybe about 50, little gift shops selling this. And we were just, you know, John was just selling it, UPSing it by the case out to these people as they would kind of run out and need more. So that was really like how we got started. Now, why gift shops? I mean, it's such an unusual strategy to go after gift shops versus, you know, most people in kind of the, you know, natural, better for you food. uh, They start obviously in Whole Foods. Whole Foods wasn't 
Um, I guess they were technically around, but down in Texas, uh, so they weren't in your area. But why did you think that gift shops would be a natural fit for this product? Good question. So I think John felt like people that were on vacation and going into um, gift shops, like had, you know, they were in spending mode, they had a little bit more disposable income. Smart. Um, and so they, like, there was, that, there was that impulse buy of buying like a really unique packaged product. Right. And so the hope was that, you know, you'd get people that could pay more money for a really high quality product, but we, but you're right, Kara, because pretty soon we learned that you wouldn't, you couldn't sell very much out of a gift shop. And mm-hmm. so the only way that we were ever going to make any money on this thing was to get it into grocery stores. And so that's what, you know, and that, that was John's original plan was eventually he wanted to get it, get a lot of volume on this and sell it to kind of mainstream consumers. But he felt like the gift shop world could be a good place to start, a good place to see how people liked it. And then, so it wasn't too long after that, that he approached, um, started approaching grocery stores. And our first major kind of more major grocery chain was actually QFC up in Seattle. And so early 1997, they became a customer and put it in their stores and it, and it started working. That's awesome. Were you guys in Jackson's up in uh, Jackson Hole? Yeah, we were in, we were in a lot of stores. I don't know. I don't remember Jackson's. Itself. Was it a, yeah. like a grocery store? Yeah. They just actually just got acquired by, by Whole Foods and, okay. uh, but they were, they were like a, I don't know, they've been around for a while and independently owned. They're right in downtown, uh, Jackson Hole. Yeah. and. Anyway, they're they're a great store, and awesome. uh, I know we we continue to sell lots of hint there, but um, mm-hmm. they're uh, you know they're definitely a kind of a I don't know they're they're a trendsetter for a, you know great yeah. products. I wouldn't be surprised if you guys were in there. I'll bet we were. We were in a lot of stores up there, and and you know you get the the right consumer does go into a lot of those higher end natural food stores and gift shops, right? So you kind of you can get a lot of great consumers out of those. Yeah, that's awesome. So you started with this pancake mix, and then you know you're you're learning about the the whole world of of not only gift shops but grocery stores. And you know, what did you how did you figure it out? I mean, what what was kind of you know your thinking on on this? I mean, I I certainly I came from tech. I did not come from this world, and I remember it was like you know this whole new world that I didn't know. I mean. Yeah brokers and distributors and you know like it was just crazy town Mm -hmm. and and i think in many ways what you guys did around around the gift shop strategy we actually kind of grew up in in tech and so we were in google and facebook and you know we in fact we were the only drink in face or sorry in google for the first like two years of of uh you know and so we just like we had no competition and it was like a beautiful world, right? It was like a very different world than what we were dealing with on the, with Whole Foods and the grocery stores where there was competition. I mean, we were, you know, it was kind of like, do you want cherry or blackberry? I mean, it was just, that was the big choice and the big decision. So what was it like? I mean, just trying to figure this out and how did you go about it? You know, it's, 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 it's funny care because we, that, that figuring out process we kind of always had that, you call it a chip on our shoulder of, you know, if other people can figure it out, we can figure it out too. But I remember when I first joined, um, I, I was telling Joel like, yeah, let's, let's, let's grow this. Sounds great. And he, he gave me this list of all the gift shops and he said, here are all the gift shops we've sold before. Why don't you start calling them? 
And I was like, okay, I'll start calling them. So I started ticking through the list. And, and as I went through the list, I was like, man, this seems like a long slog. I'm not, I'm not sure that this is actually going to work. I remember, so I grew up in Nebraska and I remember working at a high V in high school. And so I thought, well, I bet if we could get this into a high V that, that could actually, um, you know, increase sales potentially. And, and that feels like if I can make one phone call and be able to get into potentially a couple hundred grocery stores, that feels like I can spread my work out better than calling 100 gift shops, right? Um, and yeah. not knowing what the sales are going to look like. I love it. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's exactly right. So, so I I, I called up High V and um, and and you know how this is. Buyers never answer the phones and they never respond. Yeah. Well, the buyer actually answered the phone. So here I am. I've only I've I've joined Joel a few months in, and the buyer answers the call, and I remember just kind of freezing and just being like. Um, yeah, we have pancakes and, and, you know, I taught, I taught to the buyer and, um, it didn't go anywhere then, but from there I, I put together a list of what are the top 100 grocery stores throughout the U S and then just started kind of ticking through those lists. And we, we got into target. We got into Meyer in, in the Midwest. We, we got into uh, roundies in the Midwest. And, and what we started to see is if we really wanted to grow this, it's, it's those main retailers. But, but just like you said, we had no idea how to work with them. And so we would actually go into buyers and ask them questions. And buyers were, man, they were, they were so nice because we'd say, all right, well, I mean, when you say promotions, like what type of promotions are you looking for? Like, well, I'm looking for this many promotions at this type of cadence. Okay, great. Um, and, and often we would ask the buyers, you know, because they would say, do you guys work with a broker? And we would say, no, we don't work with a broker, but who do you recommend? Because, you know, we want to find someone who you like working with. And, you know, so a lot of it was just kind of asking questions to buyers just just to understand. And, you know, we, we ask so many questions along the way. And that's something we continue to do, right? Because you have to continue to learn and grow. And, and you do a lot of that from asking questions to people who've gone down that path and, and gained that experience. But it does, you know, you're, you're right. I've, I've had entrepreneurs in food ask me, and how, how do you get started? And I'm like, you pick up the phone, you start calling, and then you start asking questions. Yeah. And you have to be able to uh, be humbled, right? And and take, mm-hmm. you know, because as I, uh, as I said, I actually had a little different experience with uh, trying to get my answers. Every time I answered or I asked the buyers at, at the uh, grocery stores, they'd say, you have to you have to figure that out. I'm not going to figure that out for you. And so what I did is I talk about it. I just launched a book and I talk about it in my book that I I literally would like camp out in, in Whole Foods. I would sit in Whole Foods for like 12 hours. And then the minute that somebody in like the chip aisle looked like they were kind of official and it's really challenging because, you know, Whole Foods, you work at Whole Foods, there's no uniform, right? You don't even mm-hmm. have an apron. They look like, you know, like people stocking the shelves, you're like, gosh, they they look like they're kind of official. I'm like, hey, do you work here? No, I work for this brand. And then I just start talking to them and I'd ask them, you know, if how did you distribute your chips? And, you know, do you know any people in the beverage industry? I'm trying to figure this stuff out. And so my biggest fear was actually getting kicked out of the stores by you know, Whole Foods. Like I was like, they're going to, after a while, they're going to be like, stop bothering our customers. He's not really a customer. He like works for, you know, the, the, whatever the, 
a chip brand. And and so I was uh, constantly asking, but I felt like the more questions I asked, the smarter I became. And, totally. it, but there was no yeah. manual for this. And it was, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it was as uh, a friend of mine said, who had been in the industry, uh, the natural products industry for a lot longer, he said, it's just, it's like pick and shovel work. It's like, you know, you just keep picking away at it. And, you know, you take few steps forward and then you take like more steps backwards and then you, you know, come forward again and then hopefully forward again. And then, you know, and, and that's, what's fun about it. I mean, it's kind of sick, right. In a, in a way, like the people who jump into this industry and you guys know what I'm talking about. It's like a, you know, it's a choice. Definitely. Mm -hmm. It's, um, it's a lot of fun, but it's definitely, Mm -hmm. you know, got its moments for sure. Well, and you said, you know, you said pick and it made me think of the gold mine, the gold rush. How many people run out there and they're picking and they're digging for gold and we're just the lucky ones who actually struck gold, right? But there are a lot of other people that are digging just as hard as we are and picking just as hard and and haven't found that gold yet. But, and and same with you and us, it's like, all right, we actually found something that does work and does resonate. And then you just keep going, right? So I think like you just keep going, you keep picking because I think something I think a lot about is that so many times it's not the business that fails, it's the entrepreneur that quits. Totally. And I think that happens so much. And so it's like what you're saying, Cameron, it's like, we finally did get some luck, right? We did finally get some things that we, we found some gold, but man, we were out picking for a lot of years and just really kept at it. And, um, and I think that's really one of the, you know, I think that's one of the great um, things, our skill sets that I think entrepreneurs really need is just the ability to persevere and to keep going and to keep trying and to, and to to really ask, like you said, like you guys were talking about, to ask those questions and and figure it out because it's you 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 don't have somebody there to really mentor you and teach you every day. You have to no. find mentors that can help you here and there, but for the most part, you're kind of on your own, just yeah. being scrappy and figuring it out. And and that can be pretty fun, right? Because like you said, Cameron, we always had to have this belief that hey, if anybody else could do it then well why not us i mean why, why can't we so let's just go do it let's just go figure it out we'll ask the right questions and persevere as long as we can until it works who did you find uh to be kind of like you mentioned mentors i mean who did you find to be really really useful for for you along the way um i think for me like i i always had some friends well let me back up a little bit like i remember when i i was uh in college my older brother john did an mba and he was he, he well, for one of his classes, he interviewed a bunch of local entrepreneurs. And, and that was kind of for me. The, and, and he took me along with him on these interviews. And, and he'd ask these guys questions, all these people questions and just learning. And I remember thinking one of the answers one of the guys said was, surround yourself with great people. That's a mm-hmm. major key of success. And that just resonated with me at a really young age. And I thought, man, okay, I need to have people around me that I can just talk to, that I can ask because I can get help from. And so, you know, I've, I've had a lot of friends. I mean, a good, good friend of mine, CEO at Traeger Grills, Jeremy Andrus, for example. I mean, I think he's been someone I've asked questions to for years. And, and I, he, I moved, he moved in next to me. We were, we were neighbors uh, um, a street away and got to know him. And he's just an example of that. I've had a lot of other people like him, but you need people around you that you can get to know, yeah. that you can call and say, hey, what about this? What about that? What would you do here? What would you do there? And those relationships evolve and they add value. I love that example, though, because it's not somebody who was in the pancake industry. Because one thing that I talk about a lot is coming in from tech, I thought, okay, I've got to 
go and find all these, you know, people in the beverage industry who will, you know, show me how to do this and pave the way. And instead, like those were the people who were like, you know, you have no experience in this industry. You're going to be roadkill. And, you know, and frankly, I mean, not a lot of them were very nice. And there's been, you know, many stories that, that I've talked about about that. And some were nice. They just weren't very helpful. But I found that almost any entrepreneur, right? Like part of it was just kind of getting me in the right mindset um, and just being able to say like, hey, I remember when, you know, it was really bad for me. And then what I thought about, you know, kind of storytelling and sharing those times when things were really hard and giving me ideas, not necessarily solving my problem or giving me a phone number for a distributor or telling me how to deal with Whole Foods, but kind of you know, helping me know that, you know, I wasn't alone, yeah. I guess. And, and, you know, and, and that was really the most, um, the, the most helpful thing for me. So I, I love, you know, I, I, I think so many entrepreneurs, um, today, I mean, I feel like there's so many more resources. There's our podcast, there's, you know, so many other, you know, books out there and, and great podcasts that kind of help people. Um, but I just also feel like, you know, the answers are not, necessarily sitting with, you know, the experienced people, um, the people that yeah. have all done it. And, um, and so often if you don't have those relationships and those mentors, then you think that you can't, right. You've, yeah. you, you stop before you even start. Um, yeah, so. it's the motivation you're getting, you're getting inspiration and motivation from those relationships a lot of the time. And that's just, that's what you need. It's like fuel to keep you going. Right. And that's often just what you need. You just need time. You need to keep going. You need to persevere and persist. And then doors start to open up. I love it. How, how was your original packaging? I mean, you talked about it being in a paper bag. Like, did you change your packaging a lot over, over the years? It hasn't changed a lot. I mean, we've, you know, the bear hasn't really, the bear hasn't changed at all. I don't Mm -hmm. think. And then, you know, just little, little, little subtle changes here and there as we've kind of gone through as we've evolved, but yeah, it was a bag in the beginning. Then it became a box. We've printed on cra- directly on craft paperboard, for example, forever. And but just subtle changes over time, not drastic. How important do you think the story is, like to to consumers? I mean, would you think that reels them in? Obviously, taste is is so incredible um, and important for for your category, I believe. But what what do you think in terms of the story? I mean, how important do you think that is for this consumer? Um, I think it's, I think it is, I think it is important. I think people are looking for authenticity in food brands. So I think it is, but I think you have to dig a little bit to get to that though, because mm-hmm. like the brand, like it's not right on the packaging, for example, right? So the packaging is different. The packaging is about kind of nourishment for today's frontier is what we say. So we're, we're about, you know, whole grains and, and, um, you know, good, better nourishment, uh, and with a frontier theme you know, yeah. like hearkening back to the old frontier when food was simple and real and wholesome. And I think it's cool to have a, a you know, great authentic story. Cause then when people really dive in deep and really want to know, get to know a brand like ours, then they, they find that story. And then I think they engage even more with, with the brand and they, they're even more loyal to it. But so I think it is important, but I think, you know, really it's not what gets people to initially buy it. What gets people to initially buy Kodiak cakes is whole grains and protein and this, you know, n- natural, authentic brand that, that has a lot of meaning. Yeah. And then the taste you've got, yeah. it. I think today I, 
I always pick on Red Bull and say that if, you know, Red Bull launched today, it wouldn't be successful because it doesn't taste good. No one has ever said that Red Bull tastes good, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's like they bought it for the for the bump, right? For the for mm-hmm. the energy, but today you have to have a product that tastes great. Otherwise, it's it's just I think the consumer is very very particular and and much more so today than even 30 years ago for sure. Mm-hmm. So, um so you you all uh, went on uh, Shark Tank, and uh, and I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. Before before we went on Shark Tank, so this was about 2012 in the winter. Joel and I were just talking about how can we get more awareness to Kodiak. Like, I mean, as as you know, when when you're a small brand, there are a couple of big things that you're trying to solve. One of the biggest things that we were trying to solve was awareness and trial. Let's, we need to get this into more hands, into more households, and with with no budget, right? Like we we didn't have millions and millions of dollars that we were going to go and spend on a massive advertising campaign. So you have a lot of uh, cards stacked against you, and we we were just kind of brainstorming, man, what what could we do? And the thought kind of popped to my head. Well, well, what if we went on Shark Tank? I, you know, my wife and I had watched Shark Tank for many years. We were a big fan of the show, and um, I remember talking to Joel, and Joel's like, "Yeah, so so what's the show about?" And I was like, "Well, here's what they try and do." And he's like, <laughs> "Yeah, cool. I mean, sounds kind of interesting." And I was like, "Joel, I mean, we there's there's six to seven million people that watch this. So this this could be huge awareness." And he's like, "Great, yeah, let's 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 do it." So so I reached out and. Um, just on you know their like ABC's um, website um, and 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 uh, and just sent some information. A few weeks later, I I got a phone call from someone saying, "Hey, I'm a casting director for Shark Tank. Would love to talk to you about Kodiak Cakes." So talked a little bit more. They put us in touch with um, some producers that we started working with, and and then we went out and 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 filmed the episode and. The you know the whole thing for us was was pretty surreal. You know you, this show that you watch the uh, you know with with these celebrity entrepreneur business people and when you stand in front of them it's you're 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 kind of nervous right because you're like I'm pitching my idea yeah. but there's cameras but then you know I haven't had the opportunity to actually like just sit and talk to them um, you know to calm some of those nerves. So you never um, but, talk. So you don't talk to them at all till you get up there. That's so that's. Nope. Yeah. And so, it, it, so, I mean, so you, you pitch the idea and, and then they ask a ton of questions and, and they're all asking questions sometimes at the same time. And you're trying to like figure out who are you going to answer what question first. Um, but all in all, I mean, they were really respectful. They were, they were really nice. And um, it was a, it was a positive experience. You know, we went in thinking, man, if we could get a partnership, this could be even better Maybe yeah. we would get the show, maybe we would get our episode on TV. And if we had a partnership with one of these sharks, that could probably accelerate growth as well. So maybe we could you know, hit, hit, hit a couple birds with, with that one stone. And, and unfortunately, we didn't get a partnership, but it opened a lot of doors for us after that. You know, at, after that happened and after our episode aired, Joel and I started thinking a lot more about bringing on an, an actual financial partner to help us continue to grow and scale. And, and I think if we wouldn't have gotten on Shark Tank, I don't know that we would have gone down that path in, yeah. in that time. Yeah. You right. know, cause that's a hard thing for entrepreneurs to sign up for is giving away part of your business, which can feel like giving away part of your baby or child 
to someone. So you hadn't raised money at all up until this point and no, uh, up until Shark Tank. Oh, that's right. that's amazing. And then after Shark Tank, did you guys eventually raise money? We did, yeah. We about, let's see, I guess two years after the show aired, so summer of 2016, we did finally raise capital from uh, from private equity investors. And and that really was that really was a, just such a positive experience for us. I mean, we were able to bring on a, a great partner. We were able to bring some finance, you know, more financial resources, some cash mm-hmm. into the business just to help us grow. And and I think what we really got out of that partnership was just so much vision, vision and mentorship for how to how to scale a brand and and how to scale ourselves, you know, as 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 leaders of a, of a business. And so we really did get a lot from that, and and. Um, it was, a, it was so positive and added so much value. So I think that was, but it was a hard decision. It took us a long time to make that decision. And, and, and we talked to a lot of people in that process because we wanted to pick the right partner. It wasn't just about, oh, who's going to give us the best valuation? It was, well, who's going to be an awesome partner with us? And who do we like? And who, who believes in us? And who could align with the way we want to build the brand? So yeah, it turned out to be just awesome. And so you didn't just to back up, but to the shark tank. So you didn't take uh, the shark's money. It was, uh, it, I get, if I remember correctly, it was two of the sharks that came together that actually gave an offer, but it, it wasn't uh, what you guys were looking for. Uh, who were the sharks? So Barbara and Kevin went in on a deal taking 50% of the business. I mean, they were offering 500000 for 50% of the business. And uh, Robert <laughs> Robert said, "Hey, I'll do one better. I'll 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 give you the five hundred thousand for thirty five percent of the business." And and Joel and I walked in thinking, "Okay, maybe ten percent. Maybe we could stretch up to fifteen percent." And and so once they started with those, you know, we were like, "All right, we're we're pretty far away. I don't know that this is this is going to happen." So it was. I mean, when and now in hindsight, right? I mean, that would have been an amazing deal. <laughs> for really? them, for them. Think so? <laughs> yeah, yeah, for them. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. No, it's always it's become very uh, difficult for me to watch Shark Tank and over the years because I just sit there and and uh, itch through the whole thing. So it's yeah. uh, mm-hmm. it's very very complicated, and I you know I appreciate and and love watching um, you know people. I admire, I should say, watching people get up there and and uh, pitch, but I know how difficult uh, it must be. And and do you get any time in between their offer to kind of make a decision? Or uh, I mean, the two of you are just like looking at each other, just trying to we figure had no it out. Time. We had yeah. I mean, like, well, what happened was like when when Kevin's or when uh, when yeah when was it Kevin? Yeah, Kevin's offer came in, and he wanted half the business. Like what I I mentally started checking out like right then I started like I'm like yeah, in like, my mind I'm like oh, we're yeah. out of here right yeah. and then you know then Robert goes oh I'll tell you, I'll do it for 35 percent of the business and and so then I'm I'm like literally I'm starting to walk away I'm like say, I'm about to say hey thanks it's not going to work and so Cameron looks at me and he's like should we counter and it's like yeah actually we should counter that that's a better move than just let's just walk away. And so I, you know, he had much, much more presence of mind than I did. And, and, and so we did counter, but we didn't, we didn't have any time to just, we didn't walk up. You can, I guess, walk off and take a minute and talk about it. At least you used to be able to, we didn't do that. We were just like, we just countered right on the, at the, on the spot up to where our max was like Cameron says, stretching up to maybe 15%. But, 
Uh, so they, in fact, I think that got edited out. They didn't even show that, but, um, but we, but they, you know, we were still so far away that we ended up just saying thanks and walked away. So we never even talked to them. Uh, you know, you just go on and then you, if you don't do a deal, you don't really even talk to them. You just kind of walk off the show and you're, and you're kind of done. Wow. That's wild. So wild. Well, one, one day, maybe I'll, I want to go on there and be a judge. So I, I'm going to straighten them all yeah. out. So I, <laughs> I would love to do it. So what has surprised you the most in your entrepreneurial journey? Uh, I mean, I, I could start, I think for me, it's, it's been probably just the, I think I under underestimated what my own personal leadership development journey would be would be mm-hmm. like because that's been really like you know we brought on capital and then we started to have to professionalize the business we had to, we started to we brought on a leadership team and and so i think you know we we were these small entre- you know entrepreneurs running a small business and needed to scale up to a ceo and and president like and so cameron and i we had to go through a, a lot of scaling a lot of development and that has been, I think, something that I totally underestimated and didn't really think a lot about early on. I think it, we, I just thought to myself, okay, we have we have food products and we sell them, and I didn't really think a whole. And, and I want, you know, I thought about marketing and sales, but I didn't think a whole lot about leadership development. And and that's something that we have had to spend a ton of time on, and it never mm-hmm. ends. Like we're always doing that. We have leadership coaching involved now with helping us and. So that's been, um, it's been a lot, it's been fun. It's been challenging. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's been hard. It's stretching us the whole time, but that's, that's been surprising to me. Yeah. And I think, in, you know, one of the earlier on things that was, that's surprising for me now looking back on it, um, you know, pretty early on, I think we thought we could grow Kodiak to 10, maybe 20 million, and then probably sell it at that point and then do something else. Right. I mean, I think when you think entrepreneur, you think serial entrepreneur. You go from one business to the next, to the next, to the next. And you never yeah. just, you never just sit and just like calm down and just focus on what's in front of you. Cause you're always looking for that next shiny object. And I, I remember pretty early on for Joel and I, we would get distracted on a lot of random ideas. You know, we'd go on, we'd go to food shows and travel together. And we talk about a lot of whether it's business ideas or products that, you know, we, we were always, I don't know if Joel was as much, but I was always looking past Kodiak. I was always thinking this, like, all right, we'll, we'll, we'll sell this and then, and then we'll, we'll go do something else. But as the more Kodiak has grown, the more I've seen, well, actually, this is our thing. This is what we're doing. There's, there's a good path here. And, and there continues to be more and more white space in front of us. I thought years ago that when we got to this level and scale, that a lot of the white space would have been gone. But today, I feel like we have more white space for the brand and the organization than we've ever had, and 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 the yeah. path to the path to actually get this brand to uh, you know call it a a billion dollar brand, what what I could say is like a mega brand is 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 a lot more in reach than I ever would have thought it could have happened years ago, and so I think that's some of that evolution as entrepreneurs is. Yeah, you're entrepreneurs, but then like Joel said, like your role starts to change and you have to be okay with embracing that. Because if you don't embrace that role change of, hey, you're not necessarily an entrepreneur anymore. You're a CEO now. You're mm-hmm. a president yeah. now. And and the roles are different. The expectations are different. And then that can be a hard transition. If you don't make that transition, then you do need to sell and you need to bring in someone else so that you can go back to tinkering, back to being an entrepreneur and 
that's been what's kind of surprising for me is just seeing that, man, there continues to be a path here at Kodiak for where we're going and, and what we can accomplish here. Yeah, totally. Are you guys doing a lot on direct to consumer? You know, we're doing, we're, we're doing some, but I think that's something that we think a lot about um, is is really growing that direct to consumer. You know what what's happened this last year with COVID and how some of the buying behaviors have just shifted in the yeah. past year and a half. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of opportunities. We do we interact with consumers a lot on social, and so bridging those two together, I think there's a real opportunity for the brand. Yeah, totally. So I I I think that that is. Uh... That's how you get to be a billion dollar brand. Mm-hmm. There's so much white space there for sure. So you're yeah. you sell on Amazon, obviously, but you're just not selling yeah. on your own site. So I think that's that's definitely huge. I mean, that business for us during uh, COVID has tripled. Um, wow, wow! And uh, it's almost it's almost fifty percent of our overall business for the company. Unbelievable! I mean, it's wow. yeah, it's massive. So, and what's interesting, the more we grow our direct to consumer business the bigger we get in stores. And so we get more and more and more space because we know that, you know, consumers will buy it online, but then they'll go into Costco and they'll see a, you know, pack, a variety pack, and they'll be like, oh, hint, you know, well, I'm going to go buy it. And uh, so it's, um, it, they play off of each other. And it really, I think if, I think COVID really, highlighted for me that the consumer really is in charge of where they buy products. And if you're, if, if they're buying a majority of their products online, maybe they're moving to a place where you don't have a store that carries your product uh, and you're not available online, you lose them. Yeah. Right. And, And I think more and more people are, you know, shifting out of major cities. They're going to places where, you know, they don't have the cool stores anymore. So, um, so anyway, I just think it's, it's a, it's really interesting. I can see, and it's also an opportunity to tell your story more. And yeah, which I think that that's where the consumer really starts to, you know, you become top of mind to consumers and developing yeah. data and email base. So super, super cool. So, well, I absolutely love your story. And before we go, I mean, sort of the, the final thing I wanted to talk to you guys about. So uh, you talked about your private equity partner. So is that, do I understand that you guys sold the business? Is that correct? <laughs> yeah, we sold most of the business. So um, we, we, we were acquired by L. Catterton, which is a, another private equity group um, that's focused on uh, building consumer brands. And they're really probably, you know, they're probably the best in the space at, at you know, building mm-hmm. consumer brands like ours and taking them to the next level and really, you know, really scaling. And so, you know, we're really excited about these guys. They're going to, I think they're just going to be such great partners for us. And so we didn't sell uh, all of our shares, Cameron, and I rolled a lot of what we own still into the business. So we still own a significant minority stake in the business, but, um, you know, we had a, uh, uh, private equity involved before. And I think that's kind of the natural evolution. Private equity needs to get out at some point. And so it was time for us to get new partners involved. And, um, but we're, you know, Cameron and I are still involved um, day to day running the business just like before. So in, in many ways it's business as usual, but with a new partner on board with some new capabilities. And um, so we're, you know, like Cameron said, it's like the white space continues to grow. And I think it's getting the right people around around us, getting the right people around the table. And 
helping us see it and then helping us go and get it. And so really exciting times ahead for, for us here at Kodiak Cakes, for sure. Very, very cool. Well, thank you guys so much for coming on and sharing just the whole entrepreneurial journey that you guys have taken. I mean, it's just, it's awesome to, you know, hear that you guys have gone truly from nothing, from a bag, a brown paper bag when uh, you're eight years old, right? Into um, into, uh, what it is today. It's very, very exciting. So, Uh, And if you love this episode, everyone, definitely give it five stars and subscribe to The Kara Golden Show. And uh, if you haven't picked up a copy of my book, uh, too, Undaunted Overcoming Doubts and Doubts, Doubters, um, please pick that up. And where's the best place to pick up your product? We're in most grocery stores around the country, Target, Kroger, Walmart, uh, Costco. And then, you know, we're online, of course. And then, um, you know, follow the brand on Instagram. You can really kind of engage with us and learn a lot more about our brand and what we're about uh, through social media. So I love it. Yep. So great. Well, thank you to both you and both Joel and Cameron. And thanks, everybody, for listening. We're here every Monday and Wednesday. And uh, thanks again. Thanks for having us, Kara. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks, Kara. Before we sign off, I want to talk to you about fear. People like to talk about fearless leaders, but achieving big goals isn't about fearlessness. Successful leaders recognize their fears and decide to deal with them head on in order to move forward. This is where my new book, Undaunted, comes in. This book is designed for anyone who wants to succeed in the face of fear, overcome doubts, and live a little undaunted. Order your copy today at undauntedthebook.com and learn how to look your doubts and doubters in the eye and achieve your dreams. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free case of Hint Water. Do you have a question for me or want to nominate an innovator to Spotlight? Send me a tweet at Kara Golden and let me know. And if you like what you heard, please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow along with me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Kara Golden. Golden. Thanks for listening.